Well, that's uh, very humbling, and uh, it's an encouragement to me and Ellen to be part of a church family, a real family to us, a church family that uh, loves the Lord Jesus and loves the Word of God and values the Word of God. But even more than that, here we are at our Global Impact Celebration. This is a church that, that gives, that prays, that goes, that sends. This is a missions-minded body of Christ, and we can't tell you what a thrill that is for us. Because as Paul Davis told us yesterday, uh, last week, that's not always the case. A lot of churches have maybe uh, lost the plot a bit in terms of God's work around the globe to bring the gospel to the nation. So thank you for inviting us. I think it's fair to say that we collectively, we care as a church family, because of God's grace in our life, because of that Lord's Supper we celebrated this morning, because of His shed blood and broken body for us, we share this passion to see all here about the love of Christ, all over the globe, and to have the real life, the hope and healing that comes only through Christ Jesus. And so it's a joy to be part of that. Today, as this final day of our Global Impact Celebration, it's, it's encouraging to me that we're saying to one another and to God, we want to honor you and participate through faith giving, through this faith promise mechanism to say, we will give of what you've given us to be part of that. May God be at work in our hearts even today. Uh, don't fill that card out until you're ready to, until God gives you what's on his heart for you to trust him for this year. So as I've been thinking about today, about this special day, this Faith Promise Day, this last Sunday of our Global Impact Celebration, I, uh, I've been, as you know, Ellen and I, our ministry role is to come alongside and mentor and spur on the missionary workforce in our pioneers mission and we've been doing that all along and I want to take a minute before we look into God's Word to encourage you Woodland Hills church family that God is really at work around the world I know you know that I know we trust that but in very very clear and specific ways we have heard just in the last two weeks from the Satolas and the Davises and from the Millers and from Amanda, and from John DeValve, and from Bob Hay, and we heard briefly from John Harrell, and we can see that God's at work. But just in our interactions with people that are in our Pioneers family, in the circle around me and Ellen, we've gotten to see reports of Muslim refugees coming to Christ in Cardiff, in Wales. Stories which I've already told you, most miraculous of a growing fellowship of believers in North Korea. Stories among those whom we have been able to come alongside of an unprecedented openness to the gospel in Saudi Arabia. Don't give up praying and giving and sending and going. God is really at work. He's using you and he's impacting the world through you. So in prayer and preparation for today, uh, I was thinking about how God might want to use Woodland Hills to be a participant in his, his eternal redemptive purposes, um, in his mission of redeeming souls for his very own. And I felt God's nudge 
as I was praying, to stay in the book of Acts. We've been exploring the book of Acts uh, for a while now as a church family. And so as I was reading and praying, exploring, and as I studied, I was deeply challenged again in my own heart by Acts chapter 4 and the beautiful prayer of those early believers. A prayer where we see, a moment where we see prayer itself as the engine room of gospel witness. Prayer as the engine room of gospel witness. God's people participating powerfully in God's mission through prayer. Through prayer changing the world. We see that small band of believers that prayed for boldness to speak God's word with boldness, and God gave them boldness, and that has been bearing fruit ever since. In some way, if we traced the lineage, their faith, their prayer, impacted even Woodland Hills. The gospel has come to us as a result of that. And so I would like to suggest today, as part of our global impact celebration, on a day when we're praying and trusting in our giving, I'd like to suggest that God's also calling us to prayer, world-changing prayer. And I'm thankful that we are a church that already prays. I'm a remedial learner and a slow learner, so we're going to actually look back again into the book of Acts and pay attention to something that we've already looked at once. Before I go any further, I just, it's not just me that's uh, focused on this idea of the centrality of prayer and missions. I'd like to read a few quotes to you, probably more than I should, but I'm going to read them anyway, because they're quotes from missionary statesmen and women, their perspective on prayer. This is from J.O. Fraser, that pioneer missionary to the Lisu mountain people in southern China, northern Thailand, and across Southeast Asia. He said this, solid, lasting, missionary work is done on our knees. One of the first and most important of those duties which are incumbent upon us is fervent and united prayer. William Carey, the father of modern missions, that pioneering missionary to the nation of India. Listen to this, the prayer power, the prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see Mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment. Let us answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Hudson Taylor, that great pioneer to China, focusing in on the component of prayer. God loves importunate. Does anyone know what importunate means? I think it's like, like you're really asking sincerely, and consistently, it's like, it's pleading. God loves importunate prayer so much that he will not give us much blessing without it. Adoniram Judson spent his life in Burma, present-day Myanmar. Prayer is the core of the day. Take prayer out and the day would collapse, Amy Carmichael. You could read David Brainerd. You could read Helen Roosevelt. It doesn't matter who you read. The missionaries, and I would suggest that if we talk to any of the missionaries in this room, they would give testimony that prayer is the engine room of missions. 
and it has been so for me and Ellen. William Carey also said, the most glorious works of grace that ever took place have been in answer to prayer. Hudson Taylor said, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. I'll leave it at that. It's, and, and so why? Why so much emphasis on prayer? We're going to get to scripture in a minute, I promise. Why so much emphasis on prayer? Well, the reality is that missions... Reaching the nations with the gospel is a very difficult, and I would say humanly impossible, task. Only God can change hearts. The world we live in is broken beyond, our, beyond the description. There's lostness and brokenness and neediness all around us. And those who don't know Jesus are without hope and without God in the world. And there's opposition on every side. You remember that Jesus said in Matthew 10, he said to his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. It's no small thing. You don't have to go to Burma or India or China to know that the world that doesn't know Jesus is not that receptive to the gospel. All you have to do is work somewhere or go to school or be a neighbor in Columbia, South Carolina, and you realize that eyes are blinded, ears are stopped, unless God does something. God has to do the work. And we have the privilege in prayer of talking to the God who can change hearts. In Mark, Matthew, and Luke, Jesus said, they will deliver you up to tribunals and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. It's not an easy task. We heard from John, John DeValve this morning that 89% of the martyrs of these last decades or so are in Nigeria. That's where Boko Haram operates. Our missionaries work there. Do you know what the young men in those churches have come to our missionaries and said, what do we do? They're throwing bombs in our congregation. Do we protect our daughters and our wives and our grandmothers? Do we turn the other cheek? What do we do? It's not an easy thing to stand for Jesus. Missions is no small task. And it's a powerful thing that in prayer, we have the privilege of calling on the one who truly can change hearts. We also have an enemy. Remember Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's a battle we're in. It's a, an eternal cosmic battle. Doesn't feel all the time exactly like that. We're not wearing weapons that are visible and physical. We do have weapons that are spiritual, but we're in a battle for souls and for the worth of the one who has rescued us. And so we pray. And I'd like to say it this way. In one sense, it's almost as if we turn to God Almost involuntarily, we say, oh, God, will you please rescue my siblings who don't know you? Lord, we can't, I, I, I can't get through to this neighbor. My neighbor, Michael, who's desperate, he's, 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 he's in despair, and we can't, we can't get through. God, would, would you do it? Would you reach into his life and will you rescue him? from his despair. It's almost as if we have nowhere else to turn in our insufficiency and our neediness, but to the all-powerful, all-sufficient God. 
And we remember his goodness, his faithfulness, and his power in prayer, and his life in us as we draw near in prayer. And in prayer, we cling to him. And we say, just like we sang, you're my everything, and I will adore you in prayer. We come to that place where he is everything again. And as we trust him, he actually keeps his promise. He does change lives. Maybe not today. Maybe not exactly on our timetable. But he does build his church as he promised. And he does actually author faith and perfects faith in us and in people all over the world. And he's making his kingdom advance by his power and his purpose. So we take part in his redemptive purposes as we call on him, praying boldly for the gospel to reach the world right from here where we are in Colombia. All right, well, let's look back in the book of Acts, and you might find this a little bit familiar. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 4, I'm just going to read about uh, just a few verses, and I want us to learn a little bit about prayer from this beautiful, powerful prayer of the New Testament church. Some of this might sound vaguely familiar because on April 2nd, Jesse preached a beautiful message from Acts chapter 4. I won't ask how many people remember all the points, but it was a message about a recipe for bold witness. And some of the very truths that God led Jesse to in that passage about standing against the opposition, time spent with Jesus, time spent with God's people, prayer that's anchored in God's word are the very things that I was discovering. But as I said, I'm a bit of a remedial learner. So you're subject to round two of Acts chapter four because I needed to hear it again. I needed to be reminded again of the power of prayer in missions. So let me read, and then I'll just make a couple of observations. I'm starting in verse 23 of Acts 4. When they were released, they went to their friends. This is about Peter and John after the healing. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot invade? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, the very thing they had prayed for. And as I said, I would suggest that this is world-changing prayer. Well, a couple of things that we can learn from that. The background, you've already remembered from our journey through Acts, Peter and John. A paralytic was healed by God's power. The Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like it. They kept Peter and John in jail overnight. 
Then they brought them out and said, don't talk about this name Jesus anymore. And they said, well, you decide whether what, what we, in whose name we should talk, but we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. It's a beautiful, powerful miracle. Very big impact in the community there in Jerusalem. And so we come to this moment where the gather, where, where, where this passage that we're looking at today, and you can see that the instant response of the early church was prayer. If you look in chapter 1, they were devoted to prayer. Chapter 2, they devoted themselves to prayer. Chapter 3, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer was almost the instinctive, involuntary response. God, what are we going to do? The Sanhedrin's against us. The Romans are against us. We need you. And so they come to this moment uh, of, of need, and they respond in prayer. So a few observations that I think will be powerful for us, that are instructive for us, that might help us as a church that already does pray together. The first is this, is that they were together. It's interesting that, that Peter and John, it says, went to their own. I'm grateful for Paul's kind words today, but we feel like you're our own. Like we, we belong to you. You know what I mean? We're so grateful. Honestly, we're so grateful for your prayers and the financial support that the church sends to us. But it's way, way, way deeper than that. Like, uh, it's, it's a family that's, um, that's, whose lineage is because of the work of Jesus Christ in our entrance into that family of God. And we feel like, uh, and I, I hope that you do uh, as well, and when we come to embassy on a Sunday night, we have that feeling like, wow, we're home, where we belong with our people. And I think that's part of what the body of Christ is for, is to foretaste what eternity will be of real fellowship, real body life as those who follow Christ. And so, uh, I, I find it encouraging and I think it's instructive for us that it's good for us. We gather on Fridays. I don't always make it. We have home groups. We pray here in our sanctuary. We have embassy. There's many ways we're praying as a church. But I wonder, maybe God wants to take us even deeper into this ministry, missions in engagement in prayer. The second thing I want to pay attention to is this one voice and one passion. You'll notice that it said that they lifted up their voices together. There's actually a really interesting Greek word there. It's called, it's, it's a strange word. It says it's homothumadon. And what it really means is that there's a singularity of content and passion. It's like this, it's like this, this response to the story that was told by Peter and John about their release and about the opposition and about the healing and all that went on. Everyone just, everyone just responded in the exact same way. God! We come into you. There was this singularity, an irrepressible kind of shared passion. I think I saw this in another context that I wish was almost equaled here in, uh, in or not just in our church, but in the body of Christ. I was in Australia um, not that long ago, a, couple, a few years ago, at, um, uh, doing some ministry. And on one of the free evenings, I went with my buddy, Andrew Russell, to um, an Aussie Rules football game. Has anybody seen Aussie Rules football? It's one of the best sports you'll ever see. It's a nonstop, uh, like there's no pads, there's, there's nothing. It's just running and running and wild. Anyway, we're there in the Melbourne Cricket Ground, the biggest, um, the biggest venue in, in, in all of Melbourne, and uh, 
the home team, Carlton, was playing, and my friend was rooting for Carlton. It was a close game. Right near the end of the game, they were losing. Carlton was losing just by a few points. And the, 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 the action on the field became very intense. And even though there was noise here and there, you could feel this kind of silence in the whole stadium. They were so anxiously waiting for, to discover the outcome of that game. And just, it looked like it was gonna go this way and then it was gonna go that way. And just at the last minute, Carlton kicked the goal and they went ahead. And I've never seen anything like it. It's like 100,000 people simultaneously, instantaneously screaming, yelling, shouting, and actually singing songs. Singing so they sing songs. And I was like, what if we were like that about the gospel? What if with one passion, we just said, God, will you do it? God, will you do it? And I think we do as a church, but maybe God's looking for even more of that. How might we be changed? This same beautiful word is used in Romans 15, where uh, Paul writes to the church, may the God who gives an endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. May we as a Woodland Hills family be one-hearted, one-minded, of one voice as we glorify him. So a couple, three really quick things that I learned about prayer, world-changing prayer from this prayer. The first is this, is it's prayer assured, assured of God's sovereignty. This prayer is a prayer assured of God's sovereignty. The very first word they say, after hearing about the opposition and about the threats, the very first word they say is despota, a Greek word. You know what we get from that? Despot. Despota is not used very often in the New Testament. It's a bit of an, an unusual name for, for God. But it means this. It means one who is in absolute dominion without limit or restraint. And it means and implies with that a posture of submittedness to the one who has absolute authority over all things. And they unfold that talking about him as creator, the one that every quark and every electron obeys, that every molecule is held together by, that all the fish in the sea and the ellipses of every planet hurtling through space are under his control. Not to mention the activities during David's time in Psalm 2 and the activities that happened in Jerusalem. It's a declaration of what's true about God, his sovereignty. For this fledgling church, in the face of overwhelming difficulty, this was their first God. Sovereign one. Sovereign one. We have to pray in the light of God's prayer. Doesn't make sense otherwise, does it? Why would you pray to anyone other than the God who reigns and rules over it all? The other place this word is used, often, often I would say that it's in our darkest hours where we're most prone to cry out to the one who is sovereign when life is at its hardest. This church was facing their first taste, one of their first tastes of the severe opposition that was coming their way. And in that moment, their longing and their response was to say, oh, sovereign one. This is used in Revelation 6. Those who had suffered the most, the martyrs use this title, and they say, oh, 
despota, sovereign one, how long? Do we ever ask sometimes in our own lives, how long, O Lord? Maybe in our dark hours we wonder how long, O Lord. We wonder, does God even hear our prayers? Taking a hold of God's sovereignty changes our entire perspective of everything. When there's war in the Middle East, when our finances don't stretch, when one family member, when one family member can't remember things too well anymore, or when the doctor says it's not good news, when another family member has no interest in Jesus, when anxiety lurks at the door, when we don't want to get out of bed this morning, the sure refuge and solid ground under our feet and source of all hope is the Sovereign One. And to collectively cry out to Him changes the equation of life. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's a steady deception going on. It's both inside and outside the church. And that steady deception is that God is either not good or He's not loving because of the circumstances around us. And so I would say that as followers of Christ, part of what it means to engage in His mission is to stand on His sovereign reign and rule, which His people have been doing throughout history, to change the equation from these circumstances make me wonder if God really is sovereign. Two, because I know God is sovereign, I can trust him wholly in these circumstances. Can you do something with me? Can you do an exercise with me? Hold this hand out here like this, just for a second. Kids too. Just hold one hand out. Have I ever done this with you before? This hand is all your circumstances. Maybe you're feeling really poorly or you got bad news. Maybe, maybe you're really concerned about your family. There's something going on. Maybe your finances, your job, you just don't like it at all. Maybe you're just, just discouraged or you're feeling anxious or someone hurt your feelings. Maybe one of your siblings is just being really unkind all the time. All right, that's all of your circumstances, right? Pull that right up close to your face right there, just right there. Now imagine your other hand is the sovereignty of God and who God is. It's Him in His sovereignty and His love and His power. What happens to this hand out here when my circumstances are here? You can't really see it. Now what happens if you do this? Do this with me. Switch it. There's God's sovereignty and I see it as clear as day. All my circumstances are behind it. Thank you for doing that with me. When you're struggling with the circumstances, just remember that. To put God's sovereignty. So assured of God's sovereignty... I'll, um, yeah, this unshakable assurance of God's sovereignty characterizes world-changing prayer. Secondly, aligned with God's word. Prayer that's aligned with, Jesse talked about this back in April. The believers took hold of the truth of God's word and aligned their thoughts with that truth. It would have been easy for them to just hunker down and say, oh man, we got to protect ourselves. How can we be safe? What are we going to do now? The Christian religious leaders, I mean the religious leaders are against us and the government's against us. But instead they took their stand on the truth of Psalm 2 that yes, the nations rage. God told us that would happen. And they will rage. And yes, people's plot in vain. It's true. We already know that. They took their stance on the fact that Jesus is God's anointed Messiah, that leaders gathered by God's purpose and plan. And we too are living in a world 
of confusing lies of Satan. We can follow the example of this early group of Jesus followers by letting our prayers be filled with Scripture. Paul did that this morning. He prayed a psalm over us and over today as part of our global, celebra our, our, um, global uh, impact celebration. So to come to God in prayer, and this is part of what I want us to remember today, to come to God in prayer, standing on the truth of His Word, is a way to join the eternal battle for souls, to defiantly hold our ground in an intense cosmic struggle. It's, it's better than video games, trust me. It's way better than video games. It's taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. This kind of prayer, privately or corporately, is reaching into eternity and engaging in the heavenly realms for God's glory. We don't have superhero powers, but we have access to the one who does. And so aligning our own thoughts and our prayers with God's word puts us in the place of being able to offer world-changing prayers. Corey Ten Boom says it like this, the wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. Isn't that awesome? You kind of escape to reality, not from reality. You escape to the place where God is real. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. Just yesterday morning, we were having a bit of prayer time, and one of our dear colleagues in Kazakhstan wrote and said, I'm in a taxi right now in Almaty, Kazakhstan, with a Tajik driver, and I'm sharing the gospel. Will you pray? We got the privilege right in real time of going to the Father who said, I will build my church and asking him, aligned with that, he's not willing that any should perish. Say, will you save that Tajik taxi driver in Kazakhstan? We got to be part of it as he was in the car with him, asking that in the light of this, that God would give him boldness to proclaim Christ. The very things that this passage contains, we took hold of those, and I said, give Cliff that kind of boldness today. And we've all prayed thousands of those prayers, but how much more God might want to do through us. So lastly then, not only is it, um, not only is world-changing prayer, uh, it, it, it's, it, it's, 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 assured of God's sovereignty, and it's aligned with God's word, but it's also anchored in worship. And this is very, very near to my heart, and I'm just about to close with this, because it has been my lifeline for these many years of ministry. I would not have been able to continue and sustain in ministry outside of the gift of worship, praise, and adoration. And I thank God that this morning the worship team led us into the very throne room of God. And I myself need to go there every single day. My Ghanaian friend, JFK Mensa, he tells me all the time, I need to go to heaven. And I know what he means by that. Because we need in our hearts, in our souls, as the followers of Christ in this broken world, to go to the place where all of the brokenness and all of the woundedness are set aside for a moment and we experience the love and the majesty and the power and the wonder.
to be embraced and held in his love, to feel the awe and wonder of his presence, and to enter an eternal realm so much bigger, and to be filled with new joy and energy from him. That's what we need as we participate in his mission through prayer. Andrew Murray, in his wonderful book, Humility, wrote, Each time before you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do and how he delights to hear the prayers of his redeemed people. Think of your place and privilege in Christ and expect great things from him. As we pray, worship. It wasn't until the sixth or seventh verse of this prayer that they actually asked for anything. And asking for things is important, as we did pray this morning for all of those missionaries. But there's something so profoundly powerful about declaring and ascribing and reminding ourselves of who God really is. It changes our hearts, changes the way we view each person we walk by, and our view on all the circumstances. So today, as we finish up this year's uh, Global Impact Celebration, may God not only stir us, stir us to give sacrificially in our faith promises, but may he also stir in us a new desire to take a step forward in prayer. Let the conclusion of the matter be this, that we resolve to participate ever more in his global mission through spending time in private, family, and corporate prayer, filled with worship, filled with his word, and anchored in his sovereignty. May he do that for us as a congregation, even to expand his kingdom around the world. Father, we trust you now as we turn our hearts toward this faith promise moment. Would you act on behalf of your of your own kingdom, would you expand your kingdom through this, this, this small act of faith from Woodland Hills Community Church? Use us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.